us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and each and every day that you give us. Thank you for the new life that we have in Christ, for the precious blood that was shed. We ask and pray, Lord, that you'd meet with us today in a very real and personal and powerful way. Draw each of us closer to you. Lord, we've all come this morning with particular needs, and we know that you are the God who can meet each and every need in our lives. So help us today as we continue to lift up our voices in praise and worship, as we're attentive to the preaching of the word, that we would allow you, Holy Spirit, to minister to our hearts. And we're thankful, we're thankful for the opportunity to be here. Be with those who are watching on the live stream. We pray, Lord, that you would help them to sense your presence there as well. And for those of our number that may not be feeling well today, we pray that you place your healing hand upon them, restore their health. For those that might be working this morning, help them to sense your presence at the workplace. Those that are traveling, give them traveling mercies. But bless the service now, Lord, and help us to leave this morning different than the way that we have arrived. In Jesus' name, we ask and pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 1. Matthew 1, I'd encourage you to turn in your Bibles and then find your copy of the sermon notes today and follow along with me, if you would please. We are starting a new series, but we're in the same book. And I did this intentionally. I knew we would be... Uh, our main preaching series has been working our way through the, the kingdom in the book of Matthew. We've been talking about kingdom living, and we've, we're seeing the theme in the book of Matthew. And after the Christmas season, we'll go right back into that. But the theme is at the beginning of the book, too, with these well-known Christmas passages in Matthew 1 and 2. So we're going to spend a couple of weeks here. And I just chose the theme, King of Heaven. And that baby in the manger, in such an obscure setting, in such a remote outpost of Bethlehem, as the, as the song, as the Christmas carol says, the manger of Bethlehem cradles a king. And such an amazing thought, that song that we just sang, Mighty God in Mortal Flesh. Don't miss the, we'll sing a lot of Christmas music for the next few weeks, and it's just filled with beauty and wonder and rich, rich theology about the incarnation of Christ. So I always look forward to that, and I hope that uh, you'll enjoy it as well. Um, and however you celebrate Christmas, it's just a, it's just a wonderful time, to that, and I'm just glad we have this season to focus on uh, that incarnation, that miracle of the arrival of Christ. Now with that in mind, I want you to notice the first verse in the book of Matthew. First verse in Matthew, it says this, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then there's a whole list of begat, 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 begat. How many of you have ever read the begats in the Bible? Look it up after. There's a, there's a songwriter. He's written some really wonderful songs, but he wrote a fun one. And the name of, it's by Andrew Peterson. And the name of the song is Matthew's Begats. And he just sings them all. I don't know what the purpose is. I don't know if he wanted to memorize them. It doesn't give you a lot of spiritual nourishment to memorize them all, but he did it and he sang Matthew's Begats. It's a fun song. 
if, if some of that, we got some sixth graders in the room, you guys will probably like it. So look it up. Look it up later on. Good song. But what is happening here? I'm actually going to preach to you at least a third of the message this morning through Matthew's begats. Now, usually we would skip over these kinds of passages and just be like, yep, there's the lineage, it's there. But there, I, if you've been around and listened to me preach long, I just like to look at these obscure passages, and not too often, but I like to look at them and pull the nuggets out of there. Because there's just some really cool things if you take the time to look through this genealogy. And I'm going to show you some things today. Here's what's going to happen. I like to prepare you for what's coming because it's been kind of gloomy for a couple days. Has anybody noticed that? Or just me? I don't think I'm the only one. It's been kind of gloomy for a couple of days. And so I, I know we come in and the weather can get us down. It really can. And, uh, but we're here. We've got the, the word of God today. And we've got the warm fellowship from one another. And so are you ready to be encouraged by the word of God this morning? Amen. Amen? So, I, so here's what's going to happen. The first part of the message is going to be kind of like a Bible study. And we're going to be like, like the, the, the archaeologists digging in and looking at the record. It's as if you, you dug, I, I'm just thinking like national treasure kind of style. You know, we're going to go in, we're going to look at the source material, we're going to find the documents, and there's going to be some treasure in there. But you, you, you got to stay with me because if I lose you at one point, it's one of those messages. If I lose you, lose you at the beginning, you'll be lost until the very end. So we're going to start with, the, with this, uh, this investigation of the genealogy of Jesus. And then we're going to bring it home at the end and talk about how this makes Jesus the king and what that means for us. So that's where we're headed today. Now, the fact is, in the introduction this morning, there is no one, no one, who has ever, in the course of human history, impacted the world the way that Jesus of Nazareth has. It's just, there, there's no way that you could look at it. There have been some significant people in world history. But you cannot deny that Jesus of Nazareth, this man who lived just over 2,000 years ago, in a remote part of the world to an obscure people group at the time has altered the course of human history. And millions of people, if not billions in some form and fashion, continue to worship him to this very day. That's why, to my skeptical friends, and how many of you have skeptical friends or skeptical family? So to my skeptical friends or skeptical family, I would raise the question, is not the person of Jesus at least worth investigating? Is he not worth... It just boggles my mind how people would just say, Jesus, I don't need him. I don't believe in any of that stuff. Well, you're not just saying no to a church or to a religious movement. When you walk, when you just completely dismiss Jesus, you are dismissing the most significant historical figure in history. Which is why... Matthew begins by answering the question, if Jesus is so significant, where did he come from? Where did he come from? In fact, in the day and age in which Matthew was written, and of course many of you know this, but Matthew was written decades 
after Jesus had left the earth. It's decades later. So it's not like Jesus is, is over here and Matthew's like, let me tell you about him. This is a whole generation later. Some of the people who knew Jesus in person have died. And Matthew is writing to a new generation, particularly of Jewish people. And he wants them to know that this Jesus who we continue to worship, he is the Messiah. And by Messiah, he means he is the promised king. He is the king of kings, not just the king of the Jews, but king of the universe. So people would say, even in that day, well, tell me more about this Jesus. Who is he? Where did he come from? Well, there's three things I want you to see today to answer that question. First of all, what does the genealogy say? Secondly, what do the prophets say? And then thirdly, what do we say about who Jesus is? So first of all, let's dive into the genealogy. So verse number one, we already read. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Now, if I pause, you say the next word. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of? The son of? So we're already introduced to two significant figures. David, representative of the kingly line of Israel. Abraham, as the ultimate father of the people of Israel. So the first thing that you're going to see about the genealogy is verse number two. We begin with the name, what? Abraham. Verse number two. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat Phares and Zerah of Tamar. And Phares begat Esram, and Esram begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Naasan, and Naasan begat Salman, and Salman begat Boaz of Rachab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king. We've gone there from Abraham to David. From Abraham to David. The first thing we learn about the identity of Jesus and who he was is that he comes from Abraham. And coming from Abraham means that he comes from the promised people. Now, what's going to happen in the next few minutes is we are going to see through this genealogy how the entire story of the Old Testament is fulfilled in the arrival of Christ. I don't just mean, I don't just mean like this verse was fulfilled. Were there a lot of individual verses fulfilled through Christ? Of course there were. But when you look at this genealogy, if you were a Jewish person in the first century, you would know Genesis to Malachi very well. You'd know these scrolls very, very well. And this genealogy that, was, that we just read would have been very, very familiar to you. And so the promises associated with the significant players would be very familiar to you. So the first significant player that we're introduced to from the Old Testament is Abraham. And this is evidence that Jesus came from a promised people. In the book of Genesis, chapter 12, in verses 2 through 3, you will find the promise to Abraham. Abraham was a man that lived in, in a pagan nation where they worshipped pagan gods, but he came to believe in the one true and living God, Jehovah. And God spoke to Abraham, 
And he took Abraham from all of the surrounding nations. And he said, Abraham, I will make of thee a what? A great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a what? Verse number three. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee, in who? In Abraham. Abraham, in you, you're going to be a great nation, and in you, all the families of the earth will be what? Will be blessed. Now, what chapter in the Bible were we in? Genesis what? 12. So, so hang on a second. I just love this. The Old Testament is this big fat part of the Bible, right? The New Testament is the skinny part. Well, the first 12 chapters of the Bible are this much. And that's including my introduction, <laughs> my introductory pages, title page, my name, this Bible was presented by, etc. right? So this is the very, from the very beginning of the Bible, we are introduced to a special people who are the children of who? The children of Abraham. What do we call those people today? The Jews, the Jewish people, the children of... Now, that promise, I will bless them that bless thee, curse him that curse thee, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. It was given right here. And the entire rest of your Old Testament is the whole story of that plan unfolding. What I'm giving you today is the big picture of the scripture. There's lots of cool stories and events and applications and sermons galore that you can find in all these pages. But the whole message of this Old Testament is how the family and the children of Abraham were set in motion to bless not just their nation, but who else? All the families of the world would be blessed. And so Jesus comes to fulfill that promise. He comes from Abraham. But many people came from Abraham, right? Thousands, millions came from Abraham. There has to be more. So it's not only that he comes from Abraham, but secondly, what does the genealogy say? That he also comes from who? David. He is Jesus Christ, the son of David. Now look here. This is really cool. If you skip down with me to verse number 5. Oh, no, no, no. There's a couple of other little treasures in here that aren't part of my sermon, but I've got to share them with you. Did you know that there are, in the lineage of Jesus, there are several women with less than stellar reputations. And they're mentioned specifically in this genealogy. In fact, if you look at verse number three, Judas begat Phares and Zara of Tamar. Tamar acted as a prostitute. Very interesting if you read the story. But God redeemed. God is in the redemption business. Did you know that? And Pharaohs begat Esram, and Esram begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nason, and Nason begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz. You would know him from the book of Ruth as Boaz, but he was born of Rachab. 
That's, I believe that's the reference there to Rahab from Jericho. <laughs> Very interesting. Do a study on that. And then Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. Was Ruth a Jewish lady? She was from Moab. So the sons and daughters of Abraham, God is also bringing people with sinful stories and from foreign nations. He's bringing them in. Because remember, the plan is not just, the plan of the Jews was not just for the Jews. It was for all people. Such a cool passage. Obed then begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king. Put your Bible stories together. Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David. Ruth is King David's great-grandmother. Some of you know the story of Ruth. She's David's great-grandma. But David is the king. And oh, when we come to the word David, the name David, the national identity of the people of Israel, even today, focuses so much on King David. In fact, the symbol today of the Israeli nation is the star of star of David. The symbol that was used to persecute the Jews in the horrible days of the Holocaust was the star of David. David is probably the most significant figure central to the story of Christ. So often when you read the account of Jesus, people would say, Jesus, you son of David. Why? Because David was the promised king. Now, remember, there was a promise made to Abraham, but then the promise intensified, and there's a promise made to David. I told you this was going to be Bible study. Are you still with me? All right? So, David is the promised, from David Jesus comes, which means he is in the line of the promised kingdom. Now look with me at 2 Samuel 7, verse 16. 2 Samuel 7 and verse 16. This is now, so we've gone from, we've gone from Genesis chapter 12, way back here, and we've worked our way partway through the Old Testament to right about here. We're moving our way forward in the story of the Bible. And we come to David, who is the king, and God makes this incredible promise to David. And he says, King David... Thine house and thy kingdom shall be established for how long? That's a long time. Is there any kingdom today that has existed forever? Is there any royal line in any nation today that has existed forever? There are none. What is that song, Aaron? We just sang it. Kingdoms rise. And kingdoms fall. But David's kingdom was going to be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be, in case there was any ambiguity about the first statement, your kingdom will be forever, and your throne will be for how long? Forever. This is a promise. Who sat on the throne of David in Matthew chapter 1 when Jesus was born? Who sat on the throne of David? Who, who is the king? Anybody know? Now, some of you said Herod. I thought you might say Herod. But was Herod sitting on the throne of David? No. Herod was a puppet governor referred to as a king. 
but he had no right and he was not recognized as an heir to the throne of David. Everybody knew that about Herod. It was not a secret. His was a political kingdom, but he was not of the Davidic line. So who sat on the throne of David at the time of Jesus? Nobody. There is no king. Why do you think there was so much anticipation about the arrival of Jesus? Because what were they waiting for? A king. They're waiting for a king. There has been no great king since the time of David and his son Solomon. And so Jesus comes. This is the historical Jesus. He is the one the Jews have been waiting for. Well, let's read on where we go from David. So verse number, verse number 6, And Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. That's Bathsheba. That's another interesting story in the, kingship, in the kingly line, isn't it? And Solomon begat Rehoboam, and Rehoboam begat Abiah, and Abiah begat Asa. You, if you study the rest of your Old Testament now, this part, it's the unraveling of all those kings. It's just, they just, it just unravels. I'm giving you the story of the Bible in a nutshell in this genealogy. All those kings, with a few exceptions, are a disgrace. They're nothing like David. Now, there are a few good ones in there. So, study your Bible. You'll find some men like Josiah and uh, some men like Jehoshaphat and Asa. You'll, some of these guys did some good things. But th the tale that's told is, is centuries of abysmal failure on the part of the line of David. They did not hold up to the promise. God made a commitment to David, but they, they failed in their part. Verse 7, again, So Rehoboam begat Abiah, Abiah begat Asa, Asa begat, Jeho well, this would be Jehoshaphat in the Hebrew spelling, and Jehoshaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat Ozias, and Ozias begat Joatham, and Joatham begat Achaz, and Achaz begat Ezekias, and Ezekias begat Manasseh, and Manasseh begat Amon, and Amon begat Josias, and Josias begat, here's the next word, verse, verse 11, probably somebody you haven't heard a lot about, but Josias begat, who wants to say it? One, two, three together. Yeah, you did great. Jeconias. Jeconias. Now here's where we come to a mystery in the genealogy that we're uncovering. Josiah begat Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away where? To Babylon. The nation of Israel, the promise to Abraham, the promise to David, the nation of Israel falls away from God through king after king. Were they warned? Oh, yes. Because this whole part of your Bible tells the story of prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Some of them prophesied like Jeremiah before the Babylonians came. And Jeremiah warned them. Jeremiah said, you need to, there's a judgment coming. They said, no, no, it's all going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. We don't have to worry. We don't have to worry. But you've disobeyed God. Oh, but we're going to be fine. But they weren't fine, were they? The Babylonian army came in, destroyed Israel. They set up some puppet kings and, and, and they said, we now control. And they carried away. Do you remember the stories of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego? 
You read about Ezekiel by the river. All these stories are, are, are all caught up in that line. They were carried away into Babylon. And finally, after 70 years, King Cyrus said that some of the Jews could go back to Israel. But in the meantime, something happened with this guy, Jeconias. Jesus comes from Abraham, from David, but he also, here in the legal line, now of course we know this isn't the bloodline of Jesus, is it? How can it not be the bloodline? Because Jesus is born of, of who? Of Mary. So Jesus is born of a virgin. I'll get to that in just a minute. That's, this all comes together. But up until now, we see the legal line. What we're presented now is the legal kingly line of Jesus. So you're like, well, what's the big deal about this guy, Jeconiah? There was a curse pronounced on Jeconiah. Now here we investigate a curse. In the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 22, verse 30, God has had enough with King Jeconiah's shenanigans. And by shenanigans, I mean moral leadership and spiritual failure. And so God says to Jeconiah, or he says to Jeremiah, the prophet, Jeremiah, I want you to pronounce a curse on Jeconiah. Jeremiah, write this man what? Childless. A man that shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall what? No man of his seed shall prosper, sitting upon the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. Do you know how many years that was before the birth of Jesus? Anybody want to take a guess that that was given? It's about, it's about well, the, don't let the 14 generations thing throw you because the 14 generations is not a technical, I'll get to that in a second. It's about 580, 575 years. The curse on Jeconias was it took the line of David and what did it do to it? It cut it off at Jeconias. Has there been a biological son of David that has ever ruled as the king of Israel since 586 BC? It's never happened. That is the historical record of the kingdom of, of Judah, of the kingdom of Israel, ending. But what about the promise to David? What was the promise to David? His kingdom would last for how long? Forever. It would be forever. So how can this be? How, how, will, this, how will this turn out? Well, it's unclear here. If, if you were a Jew in this day and age, it would be unclear. Is there going to be some like other offshoot outside of the line of Jeconiah that's coming in? How could this be? But then Jesus comes and, and his earthly father, Joseph, is in the line of Jeconias. So, so how, can this, how can this be? Because look what happens next. It says in verse number, where are we? What verse did I leave off on in our genealogy? 12? Okay. Verse 12. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Salathiel, and Salathiel begat Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begat Abiud, and Abiud begat Eliakim, 
And Eliakim begat Azor, and Azor begat Zadok, and Zadok begat Achim, and Achim begat Iliad, and Iliad begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Mathan, and Mathan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Messiah, anointed one. In the Greek language, Christos. As we would say, Christ. Jesu Christo. Beautiful. Jesus, Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one. He is the promised prince. Because in the midst of the Babylonian captivity, in the, or, or in, the, in the, I should say, the prediction of the Babylonian captivity, when they knew it was going to be dark, there was a promise made in Isaiah chapter 9, and verse number 6. Because in Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6, in preparation for this coming captivity, Isaiah told them, things are going to get dark, things are going to get bleak, but unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name, help me out now, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the prince of peace, keep it going, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. How's it going to happen? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Cool. I just think it's just so awesome to watch this all come together. Verse 17. So all the generations, from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Bible scholars are unclear on what the significance of the 14 generations is. There's something significant about it. Nobody really knows. Maybe the original readers knew what the significance, but we just guess today. Because technically, if you study the, the actual line, there were more, the, the math doesn't add up, 14 and 14. There was something significant that was being mentioned about 14 and 14. We don't know what it is. There's some things in the Bible that they may have known when it was first written, and we don't, we don't know. But the point is this, Christ came. Now, how could he, here's, here's the amazing thing, how could he follow, in the, did you notice, go back to verse number, go back to verse number um, 16. And Jacob begat, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So Jesus receives the inheritance of Joseph. But it doesn't say, and Joseph begat Jesus, does it? Jesus received the inheritance of Joseph because Joseph was Jesus' adopted father. But Jesus was not the biological son of Joseph. Because... As Aaron read our, from John chapter 1 this morning, Jesus is the only begotten, not begat of Joseph, but begotten of 
the Father. Jesus is begotten of the Father. So, he, so Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Christ. See, the idea a child is born of the woman. You're like, yeah, we knew that. So the child is born of the woman, but in the biblical record, it speaks about the seed. The seed comes from the man. That's biology. This is, it's all spoken of very clearly in the Bible. So the, the line is typically shown through the man. But here in Matthew, we see that, this, that Jesus did not have the seed of Joseph. He did not come from the seed of Joseph. He came from the womb of Mary. He was put there. He arrived by the miracle of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, he avoids the curse of Jeconiah. Because it says to Jeconiah, do you remember what it said? You can look back at Jeremiah 22.30. Yeah, for no man of his what? In the middle of the verse. No man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David. It's amazing. So if you're a Jewish person, so to us, we just read all this. And we're like, all right, let's get to the story. Let's get to Mary and Joseph in the manger and no room in the inn, Right? But, if, but this genealogy is given to us to say, to answer the question, who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the one. Friends, don't miss the significance of this. We are alive in, two, in A.D. 2000. We are, there have been many, many generations that have come before us, if you're not aware of that. Many. And there were whole parts of human history where they kept these genealogical records and they waited and they looked. And all of these passages you read about in the Bible, they're not just a collection of nursery stories or of inspirational tales. It's a historical record to point to us two things. The reliability of the scriptural record, that this record is reliable, but that it is not only re reliable, but it is supernatural. Because everything that was predicted came to pass. We might have lost our scriptures on our screen, but we can make do without it until they get it back. All right. Now, so the first point took the longest. I'll, I promise I'll wrap it up if you stay with me for a few more minutes. What, do the what does the prophecy say? The genealogy shows us that Jesus is the promised one. But what does the prophecy say? Well, look at the story unfolding in verse 18. In verse number 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, or it happened this way. Here's what happened. His mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. Now that is like engagement plus. In Jewish times... There was a formal espousal, a formal engagement. The, it was, they were arranged marriages. It was just the culture of the day. The father of the groom would arrange it with the father of the bride. They would put this relationship together. There would be a formal ceremony by which they were pronounced husband and wife. But then they had to wait a whole year. They were married legally, but they had to wait a whole year before they lived together and consummated the marriage physically. Legally married, but physically separate. And so a problem happens. Well, it's only a problem from a human perspective. It's a miracle. 
But the problem says they, Mary was a spouse to Joseph before they came together. She was found with child. Now, what she knew, what nobody else knew, was that child did not come from a man because she was a virgin. That child came not from a man, but the Holy Spirit put the Christ child in the womb of Mary. It's the miracle of the, of the it's called the incarnation. That the, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal son, Jesus did not begin to exist. It was his human form that began in the womb of Mary. But as Father, Son, and Spirit, they have existed as one through all of eternity. But Jesus now is in the womb of Mary. Like, I just get a kick out of, like, this is intense stuff. And like, you know, we've got all our cards and the baby in the manger. Like, there's no weightier drama than the Christmas story. Mary's like, she's growing. She, she's, she's growing horizontally. And people are going to start to notice. In fact, one very important person starts to notice. And you know who that was? Joseph starts to notice. Now, obviously, there's a conversation, but here's what happens. Joseph, in verse 19, and, and we did a Bible study this morning on Joseph with the adults and really good stuff. So uh, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on Joseph and what an awesome guy he is, but pretty cool the way he responds to this. Now, the part of the purpose in this culture of the one-year waiting period was to make sure of faithfulness. So if the woman has a child, that pretty much is like, well... You weren't, from outward appearances, Mary hadn't been too faithful to Joseph. That's what Joseph thinks. He's devastated. He's devastated. But he's a just man. He's a righteous man. And he loves Mary. He cares about her. So in his, in his human mind, he's like, what in the world am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, I don't want to embarrass her publicly. So we're going to have a private divorce. Even though they had never consummated the marriage, they would have had to divorce. That's what that old phrase, to put away means. His idea is, I'm going to have to divorce her privately. But as he's having this internal struggle, what will I do? Verse number 20, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph. I wonder what he sounded like. Probably not like that. Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that baby inside of her is from the Holy Ghost. That little baby, the life in the womb. And can I just share with you another wonder of the Christmas story with both the story of Jesus and if you read in Luke, the story of John the Baptist. Those were human beings in the wombs of the mothers. Not not cellular material, not potential human beings, but in the womb was a human being. This human being happened to be the only person who was both God and human at the same time. Wow, this is some news. That Jesus, what does this say? This is a virgin 
birth, a virgin birth. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. We'll come back to that at the end. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Look at verse 22. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name, what is it? Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. This was a, the angel was quoting, or Matthew, I should say, was quoting from Isaiah, what we know of as chapter 7 and verse number 14. The same time, remember, you're putting all this biblical history together, it was prophesied that there would be a sign. How would you know when this king was coming? Because the sign was going to be a virgin birth, a virgin birth. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall, what? Conceive. Now, this was addressed in Sunday school. Some people, you, some versions of the Bible will translate that, Behold, a young girl shall conceive. The reason they do that is because the Hebrew word for virgin can be translated young girl. However, there is no significance. You have to translate, translators need to translate in context. There is no significance to the sign of a young girl conceiving. The significance of the sign is that a virgin would conceive. And so the appropriate translation is, of course, a virgin. And in fact, especially since we have the knowledge of the New Testament to give us the clarity of the virgin birth of Jesus. And again, most, most translators get it right, and they translate it virgin. But you may come across some that uh, are not so careful there. But the sign from the Old Testament would be that a virgin would conceive and bear a son, and his name would be called Emmanuel. And that is exactly what, is, what happens in Matthew chapter 1, where, the, where we just read, this was all done to fulfill the scripture that a virgin would conceive. The virgin birth is so significant to Christian theology, and the virgin birth is so significant to our salvation. And do you know why? Well, some of you may, but if not, I'll tell you why. Because we needed a Savior who could take our place as humans, but without the stain of our sin. And Jesus, because he did not come from a man, did not receive the stain of sin. He did not inherit the nature of sin because his father was God. You inherit the nature of your father, as the Bible teaches. And Jesus comes as the seed of, as the, seed of the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin. He is both through the, by being born of a human woman, he is fully human. And by being born miraculously of the Holy Spirit, he is fully God. Theologians refer to that as the hypostatic union. When will you need that in your life? Exactly never. But that's what it's referred to as. Is Jesus half God and half man? No. He is, as the ancient theologians said, very God and 
very man. It's a miracle of the virgin birth. He is not, it's not only does the prophecy say virgin birth, but the prophecy says it would be a divine child. And by divine, I mean equal with God. That's what Emmanuel means after all, right? God, where? With us. Micah 5.2, another amazing prophecy about the coming Messiah, the coming child. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. Who is this ruler? Who is this future king? Who is this, this child? He is the one whose goings forth have been from old. Well, just how old? From everlasting. He is the eternal one. He is the eternal king. He fulfills the promise to Abraham. He fulfills the promise to David. So, while there is no king physically sitting on the throne of David in Jerusalem today, there is a king of David. There is a king of kings. There is one who has fulfilled the destiny that God prescribed. You and I, we have a king, and his name is Jesus. Where did he come from? This is the story of where he came from. So that's why it brings us to the most important part, this conclusion to the message. It's not just what does the genealogy say. It's not just what does the prophecy say. But what do you say? And what do I say? Who do we say that Jesus is? And there is no more important question that any person will ever answer than who is Jesus? Who is he? Some will say he's the savior of the world. That is not enough. He must be your personal savior. You must say he is my savior. Many of you probably grew up with a generic knowledge. Well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. He's the savior of the world. But is he your savior? Have you personally surrendered your life to him? Have you personally believed on him? Have you said with uh, the angel in verse number 21, in Matthew chapter 1, and I just want you to leave this verse on the screen for me. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name. Now, you all know if you're texting what all caps means, right? How many of you know what all caps means? All right, so you're going to help me now. You ready to help me? We know what all caps means, right? Because you're a texting generation. Here we go. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. It's the Hebrew name Yeshua. Yeshua, Messiah. Jesus. In the Greek, Yesu. In the Hebrew, Yeshua. And it means Jehovah is my Savior. But isn't it interesting, we say his name is Jesus, Jehovah's salvation, but who does the saving in the passage? He does, because he is Jehovah. It's who he is. He shall save his people from their sins. So to those of you that know him as your Savior, you say amen. You say yes. You, that resonates with you. He is my Savior. But oh, to our friends that we mentioned before, who may be skeptical, to our family, to those that may even be in the room, I don't know, to those that may be watching, and you'd say, well, I'm not particularly interested in a Savior. How many of you have encountered or you've even had that attitude in the past? Well, I'm just not particularly interested in a Savior. Well, to those, I would say, 
this, the fact of the matter, while many say that they are not interested in being saved, the fact is this, we are all looking for some type of salvation. Every single human being is looking for some type of salvation. You say, Ethan, what do you mean? Well, we all want to be saved. Some people, they want to be saved from loneliness. So they look to the Savior of relationships. Some people want to be saved from poverty. So they look to the Savior of education or career or pursuits. Some want to be saved from anxiety, so they look to a Savior of therapy. Some want to be saved from debt, so they hope that the lottery will save them. Some want to be saved from insignificance, so they fill their social media with posts looking for validation, looking for a Savior. Many want to be saved from poor health, and so they look to the Savior of fitness and nutrition. You see, all in our world today, people are looking for little Savior kings. Little Savior kings that can help them in their life. But do you know what happens in each and every one of those scenarios? The problem is that people are looking for salvation from the symptoms, but not from the disease. The symptom, the symptom is I'm lonely. The symptom is I'm filled with anxiety. The symptom is I have fear. The symptom is I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid of poverty and I need, I need this. The symptom is loneliness. The symptom is I need validation. The symptoms. But that is not our problem. Our problem is that we have the disease of sin. It says here, for he shall save his people from their what? Sins. Listen, it's popular in Christianity today to talk about weakness and brokenness. And I think those are all good, helpful words. But the weakness and the brokenness and the fear and all of those things are, are, are not our problem. They are the result of our problem. Our problem is that we are sinners. And we need a king who, yes, will deliver us from fear. Yes, will deliver us from anxiety. Yes, will deliver us from loneliness. But only because he ultimately delivers us from sin. From the bondage of our sin. Every other savior is a weak, weak savior. Everything that people turn to for salvation is weak and pitiful compared to Jesus. Sin has devastated the human race. But we have a king who is mighty to save. So the message of the gospel, the message of Christmas, is to let go and forsake those lesser kings and look to Jesus for complete salvation. Are you saved? You can say amen. Are you saved? Amen. If you're not sure, make sure today. So I always give two applications. One is for Christians and one is for people that may not be saved. You're not sure if you're saved. If you're not sure that Jesus is your Savior King, you can receive him by faith today. I'll lead you in a prayer at the end of the service that expresses the heart of salvation. If that's what you desire, we will do that. You can do that today. But Christians, this next application, this last application is for you. All of you who said amen. How many of you are saved? Amen. 
Do you and I sometimes start to look for lesser kings, lesser saviors to help us with our problems? There is a king of kings. Give it all to him. Give it to him. Don't turn to the world's solutions. You have a mighty king, Jesus, who has saved you from your sins. Follow him with your life. Surrender to him. Let's, let's come to prayer. Please bow your heads and close your eyes. As I always share, this is a really important time in the service. So let's be still and prayerful. If you're here today and you'd say, Ethan, I don't know for sure if I'm saved. I'm just not sure. But today I want to make sure. I understand today that Jesus is my Savior. I cannot save myself. Whether you're in this room or if you're watching on the video today, if you're not sure, make sure this morning. If you're ready to believe in Christ and trust Him for salvation, I'll lead you in a prayer. It's not the prayer that saves you, but the Bible does say that if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that you'll be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So you can call upon him in prayer right now. Wherever you are, just quietly pray this with me if you'd like to make sure that you are saved. Pray something like this. Say, Dear God, I know that I am a sinner. I need to be saved from my sins. Jesus, I believe that you died for me, and I believe that you rose from the dead. I ask you to save me. I put my faith in you and you alone. You are my king. Is there anybody with no one looking around, our heads bowed and our eyes closed? Is there anybody that would say, Pastor Ethan, don't call my name out, don't embarrass me at all, but I, I did today pray to make sure I was trusting Christ as my Savior. You just put up your hand and put it down. Anybody at all would say, yes, today I made sure. Amen. Amen. Anybody on the live stream, send a message, send a private message to say, hey, I listened to the message and I trusted in Christ as my Savior. Christians, how many of you, there's a counterfeit king in your life right now that's trying to take the place of Jesus? Would you say, I mean, it happens to me a lot. I trust in my job, I trust in my money, I trust in my skills and abilities when I need to just get back to the fact that I have a king. Well, this is an opportunity right now as the piano plays. Would you just surrender to your, the, the goodness of your king again? Before we sing, just recommit to the Lord right now in this quiet moment. Let's just have this time that we do of prayer and refocus our attention on our king of kings. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you sending him to die for our sins, to pay our penalty. So we're reminded this morning of the miracle of God becoming flesh, becoming man and dwelling among us. I pray God, if someone in here has not put their faith in you, that today would be the day that they would make that decision. Challenge each and every one of us today in Jesus name. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, 
or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.